0: Well, good morning. morning. Look at that. A couple people are awake. Good. Hey, welcome to Journey Church. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking about an hour or so out of your Sunday morning. And as both Mitchell and Olivia have already mentioned, um, last week was wonderful, right? It was fantastic to be at the water oasis. It was fantastic to be able to have such wonderful weather, and and you're welcome for that, just by the way. Um, And it was just a beautiful opportunity to celebrate our risen king. And maybe, I don't know if you feel this way, that after we kind of, you make your way to Easter, right? And for us, it it was a long walk towards Easter, right? We we talked a lot about Lent uh, leading up to Easter. We talked about this path of of following Jesus towards the cross, these these seven weeks of of fasting and self-reflection and repentance. And we made our, our, our way all the way to the cross where we were able to to recognize the, the love that Jesus demonstrated, the sacrifice that he offered on our behalf, and then we celebrated his resurrection on, on Easter Sunday. And, and I just don't know if, if maybe after all of that, there's just, maybe you feel this way, like you got to Monday morning, it's just like, all right, back at it. You know, it's like almost a, a letdown of, of sorts, and, and not really, but it, it's like, the, so now what? And Olivia kind of mentioned it, there's this next step in, in the, the life of, of the church, certainly if you look at like the big C church and like the church calendar and, and some of the things we've talked about like Advent and Lent and then what is Eastertide, but, but really what it is, is, is once we're done celebrating the resurrection, we begin to start practicing resurrection. You see, what, what we we're doing on the way towards the cross is we were following Jesus in, in his suffering and in our own repentance and turning towards him. And, and now that we've moved through the cross, through the tomb, and onto the other side of resurrection, now we begin to practice the, the resurrection life, following the disciples as they walked away from the tomb, following Jesus into a life that has defeated death and now lives and reigns in the power of Jesus in us, in this idea of, of kind of just practicing Resurrection. It's really the whole story is, is told in what Paul says in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But now it is Christ that lives in me. This life I now live in the body, Christ lives in me. And that's where we find ourselves and we, we begin practicing the resurrection. It's with that in mind this morning that we come into to John chapter 12. Now, John chapter 12, it's its not exactly in the middle of John's gospel, but it, it is really be, the beginning or the, the end of the first part, and in some ways the beginning of what is considered the second part of John's gospel. And if you've been with us over the last four or five months, you know that we, in September we started this series in John, and we've been moving our way through it, and we're going to finish it kind of near the end of, of 2022, but we started off the series by calling it uh, Come and See, and then as we moved our way through the series. We changed it to, to come and believe. And, and now if, if you look behind me, I'm sure you can see that we've changed it again to come and, and follow. Because next week, as, as we enter into the chapter 13 of, of John's gospel, Jesus is going to sit down for this final meal With his disciples. And over the course of about four chapters in John's gospel, Jesus is going to begin teaching his disciples. He's going to be talking to them, he's going to be encouraging them, he's going to be preparing them to follow him towards the cross, but not simply towards the cross, but beyond it. And this is the invitation that, that we have in this season as we end chapter 12, as we're going to talk about today, and move into chapter 13, into kind of this part two or the second half of, of John's gospel, where it's following Jesus, not just simply to the cross. We will do that, and certainly that's important, but we're going to follow him beyond the cross and into practicing resurrection. And so today, we're going to pick up in John chapter 12. And before we do, I just want to just pause and, and pray. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, you are the the light of the world, and we pray that today that you would shine brightly uh, in this place, that you would illuminate uh, our hearts and our minds, you would illuminate your word and your truth, you would enable us, Jesus, to to follow you and to begin practicing resurrection, living a, a full life, allowing your life to be lived in and through us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, we're at the end of of chapter 12, and again, we kind of paused last week for for Easter Sunday. We didn't talk about John very much. Two weeks ago, and then and, and the week before that, we started in John chapter 12. So let's just quickly review so we, we know where we're at as we take, pick up the last part of John chapter 12, because it's, it's a significant chapter. It's a turning point in, in John's gospel, because at the beginning of John chapter 12, we saw that, that Jesus was anointed by Mary, right? She pulls out this expensive perfume, and, and she anoints Jesus' feet with her hair and with this oil. And, 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 and essentially, what John tells us is that she was preparing him for burial, and that this anointing was preparing his body to be buried, which it will be eventually. But the ironic thing is that this type of anointing isn't just for burial. It's also the, anoint, the type of anointing that a king would receive as in its, his inauguration. As he is preparing to become king, as he is being assigned his, his kingship, he would be anointed. And at the same time, he's being anointed for burial, which is a kind of a beautiful picture. Because for Jesus to actually become king, he'll have to go through the cross through the tomb and, and on to the other side through his resurrection. So it's this beautiful picture. And, and if you weren't here those uh, three Sundays ago when Olivia was preaching on that, I encourage you to go back and check it out because in it we see that, that there is this, this gift, this gift of, of an anointing that, that demonstrates a sacrificial love. And what we understood as we saw that was that love often looks like sacrifice, but then after Jesus was anointed to be both buried and, and anointed to become king, we see that he enters into Jerusalem riding in on, the, on this, this donkey to shouts of praise and shouts of Hosanna where the, all of the people were, were watching and hoping and waiting and wanting for Jesus to come in as an anointed king. Even as potentially the Messiah, but their idea of what this Messiah would look like would be a lot more like, like Moses setting his people free from oppression than what Jesus had in mind coming in humbly on a donkey. Because as we look at that story, we see that Jesus didn't come in wielding a sword, but he came in offering a sacrificial life and sacrificial love. And that's how he would establish his kingdom and then rule and and reign his kingdom through sacrificial love. In fact, he says something in that passage right at the triumphal entry that was unexpected to those people who thought he came in to to overthrow and to take rule. He says, anyone who loses their life, sorry, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. As John Ratcliffe shared a few weeks ago when, he looked at, when we looked at this passage, like this, is, this was the path that Jesus was taking, one that would lead to, to his death, but that death would then spark new life. It's a path that Jesus would, would lead on, but it was, it's a path that Jesus would be asking his disciples to follow him into. And that's where we pick up today in John chapter 12. So if you happen to bring a Bible, let I me mean, encourage you to open it up to John chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 37. And this morning, as we read from the Word of God today, I'm going to invite you, if you're, if you're willing and able, to stand with me as I read from John chapter 12, starting in verse 37. And here's what it's, the Word of the Lord says. It says, even after Jesus had performed many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I will heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light So that that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. <clears throat> so as we look at these kind of last words in a sense, because they are, right? These are, these are the last words that Jesus would speak to the crowds in Jerusalem. At least until they see him standing under arrest in, in front of Pilate. This would be the, kind of the last time that Jesus would have an opportunity to speak freely to the religious leaders. Freely to the crowds. And, and in some ways even freely for the, the disciples to witness him as he's, as he's speaking and, and saying these things to those that are around them. And in this moment as, as John tells the story, he, he divides this crowd that Jesus is speaking these words about, or we, speaking these words to, he divides them into to two different groups. The first are those who, who didn't believe. These are those who didn't believe even though they saw all the signs, right? We, we talked about the seven signs that Jesus performed over the, the first 12 chapters in John, and, and they were only just a, a glimpse into the amazing things that, that Jesus was doing and that Jesus would continue to do, and yet they saw these signs, but they didn't believe, and that was, that was one group. And then the other group were those that that did believe, but because they were afraid of of being either persecuted or or kicked out of the synagogue, they were worried about themselves and self-preservation. They decided not to acknowledge their belief in Jesus. So even though they did believe, they would never openly acknowledge that belief. And here in this passage, John kind of does a little sidebar, right? We see all these, these black words in the middle of some of the red words, if, if your Bible uses red words. And, and he he quotes from Isaiah 6 because he's talking about these people who are who are not believing, but he's also like framing the words that Jesus would, would soon say. The red words that, that follow his little quoting of, of John chapter or Isaiah chapter 6. And what's interesting is, is In Matthew's gospel, as Matthew tells the story of Jesus, he actually tells of a time when Jesus actually quotes the same passage from Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 6. It's found in in Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. And when Jesus says these things from Isaiah, he actually extends and, and expands or actually says fully what Isaiah was saying there. So let me read them to you. He says, You will be ever hearing but never understanding you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. You see, what's <clears throat> taking place here. Um, is that there's many in the crowd, including the religious leaders, that, that I thought feel like they're just acting like kids at this point, right? They, they're hearing something that they don't want to hear, and, and what do kids do when, they, when they're hearing something they don't want to hear? Like, maybe it's like a spoiler, or they just, they, their mom's tell them it's to go clean their room, or they'll plug their ears, right, and be like, la, 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 right? Like, it's what we see the, the religious leaders, not literally, they're not literally doing that, that would be embarrassing, but But they don't want to hear the things that Jesus is doing. They're closing their ears. They're closing their eyes. They're closing their hearts to the words that Jesus would speak. And so Jesus, wanting to be abundantly clear, he cries out one final time. Let me read to you again what he says. He says, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Last week, I was, I was in Newburgh uh, for a meeting in the evening. The, the meeting got done at after like 9 o'clock or something. So I was driving home in the dark, right? And so I got in the car. I drove home in, in the dark. And, and I got to about the Redberry Barn over on, on Highway 99. And I realized at that point that I didn't have my headlights on. <laughs> I had my like my parking lights on, which is you know just like a, a dim light that was shining out, and I didn't have my my headlights on. And it was interesting because I realized, boy, I I didn't even I didn't even realize this. I, I was able to drive all the way from from Newburgh to Sherwood without my my headlights on, and and partly because you know my parking lights gave off some dim light, and there were lights from the cars that were driving around, and maybe the moon was was shining. But but I was able to to drive from Newburgh to Sherwood without my lights on and without even realizing it. And, and I didn't uh, get in any accident. I, 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 was, I had enough light to be able to see far enough in front of me to stay somewhat safe, to not run into any other cars or any other you know, animals or whatever. But but that's not what the police officer would have said. Now, some now it would have said. I know some of you are like just, like just hoping that, that you get to hear the story of when Scott gets pulled over because It's a rare occurrence. It hasn't happened since I was 16, and so we're not about to break that streak. but, But the officer, if he had pulled me over, his comments would have been different. He would have said, that's not enough light for you to drive safely. That's not enough light for you to drive in the dark. That's not enough light for you to be aware of your surroundings. That's not enough light for you to see the obstacles that might be coming and you be able to avoid them. That's not enough light for you to keep others safe. You see, there's a reason why we drive at night with our lights on. There's a reason why we don't drive in the dark without our lights. And there's a reason why Jesus came as light. He says it. He says, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because maybe it's just me, but I think sometimes we prefer to to operate in just a, a little bit of darkness. Maybe what we would call like 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 the gray area. We we don't want to live in complete darkness. We we know that that's where you where you stumble and fall and, and you're hurt. that's where there's like just dep- depravity and debauchery. We don't we don't want to live in that place of of complete darkness. But but we don't mind kind of just dabbling in, in a little bit of, of darkness and just kind of operating in in what we might call the the gray area because it's easy to move kind of from like just like it's not quite as as dark here as or sorry, it's, not, it's darker right there than it is right here, right? And, and I can kind of move out of those without any sort of problem. I can see clearly. I can maybe avoid some obstacles. I can feel somewhat safe. But that's not the way we were, we were intended to, to operate in the life. And, and the question maybe is is why? And partly, I think we operate and try to live in the gray sometimes, even when it comes to, to following Jesus, because it's, it's more comfortable, Right? We can move in and out of a of little bit of the, the light and a little bit of the dark and, and feel kind of comfortable. We can feel kind of loved and we feel kind of part of, of, of everything that's going on around us. We could even say, man, I, I believe that in Jesus, I, but I might not acknowledge him in every aspect of, of this life. And the problem is, similar to, to driving in the dark with just your parking lights on, is you might get pretty far down the road before you realize that, that you're in the darkness, that you're operating the darkness. That transition from the, the gray area into the, the dark area becomes easier and easier until the light shines or until you get pulled over. You see, Jesus didn't say that I am the, the gray area of the world. Jesus was very clear. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John, when describing Jesus in chapter 1 of this gospel, he says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus himself just said, and we just read this, I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. You see, this is what the the presence of of Jesus does. And we've seen this throughout the gospel. We've actually even talked about this a little bit before, that it actually divides the world into into those who would come to the light and who would uh, want to be changed by it to be healed by it, to be directed by it, to be, in a sense, enlightened by it. And that those who would instead choose to to remain in the darkness, and all that that would hold in store for them. And it's with that in mind that Jesus then says these final words that, that we read at the end of, of John chapter 12. The final words that he's saying to this crowd of people that, have, that are gathered around him. It's the same crowd that was probably welcoming, welcoming him with shouts of, of Hosanna and still had high hopes that he would be the Messiah. But these are the words that he was speaking to them, words about hearing, words about judgment, and words about eternal life. And what's Great in this is that Jesus is really clear that he didn't come to be the judge. He didn't come to operate as like a, as like a police officer of sorts you know, looking for, for lawbreakers. I remember I had a friend who every time he saw someone like pulled over, he'd be like, "Up, oh, got him one. You know, like that, like that was the attitude of, of the police officer in that, in that moment that they're just trying to, to f- catch all the bad guys and, and to cast them in with a ticket or cast them into jail. Like, like some people, I think they maybe believe that when Jesus talks about judgment, that he, he is coming to just find all the bad people and, and, and send them off. But Jesus says something completely different. He says, I didn't come to judge. He says, I came to save the world. Like, we know John 3.16, right, for the most part. I mean, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But what immediately follows John 3.16 is John (laughs) 3.17, which says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And rarely do we continue on and look at John uh, 3, 18 and 19. Let me just read those to you really quick because they're super fitting to what we've just talked about. Verse 18 says, Whoever believes in me or whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. People would get caught just living in, in the gray area, which really, I mean, gray is just a, a lighter version of the dark, right? But it feels better. It feels safer. It feels more more comfortable than, than maybe just being in, in the light and and exposed in the light, which is what light does to us. You see, Jesus instead, he says, my words actually will be the judge. Isn't that interesting? And he says, these aren't actually even my words. These are the words I was given from the Father. (laughs) These are words that that lead to life because these are words that, that actually lead to me. And they are the ones that will hold you either judged or, or not. It's interesting. All of this sounds super familiar to me as I was reading it, as I was planning and, and preparing and studying this week and looking at the end of John chapter 12 as, as Jesus is about to go off with his disciples. It reminded me of what the way Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've been at Journey Church for a while, you know that years ago, we went through a, a series, a long series on, on the Sermon on the Mount, and, and I actually kind of preached on this part I'm going to talk about a little, for a little bit. So if, if that's familiar, then well, just take, take extra notes, because you, you already know some of it. But, but at the end of, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus um, tells a or uses a, an analogy or a metaphor. I want to read that to you. It's found in, in Matthew chapter seven, verses 24. Through the end. It says this here, and it's probably sound familiar and maybe would even remind you of a song. He <laughs> says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The beginning of this metaphor that he explains, he says that, that everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice. And here when he's talking about hearing these words, he's not just saying it, everyone who listens, everybody who takes these words in, but it's actually, everybody that actually does what these words are instructing and, and teaching about. You see, Jesus came as a, a rabbi, right? And, and as a rabbi, uh, their, their job was to actually not just to teach people, but it was to transform them into a life that that modeled after their own, right? And so when Jesus was teaching as a rabbi, he wasn't just trying to to get information into the minds of people. He was trying to transform and reshape and change their life so that it would begin to look more like his. And that's his goal even now for us as we try to follow Jesus. Our hope is just simply that we would be with him and, and listen to him and that our life would become more like his as we put our faith and hope and trust in Him, But in order to make this point, in order to try to transform their lives, he uses this, this metaphor, this idea of, of building a house, right? And he says you can even build a house on either the rock or you can build your house on the sand. And he says there's really only, everything's pretty much the same. The builder's the same. The houses are, are the same. The storms that come crashing down in them are going to be the same. The only thing that's different is, is whether or not you listen to me. Like the the only difference is though the one person is going to listen to me and do what I says and do what I say, and they're gonna they're building their house on the rock, and the other person is is going to hear me but but not put into practice the words that I have spoken, and theirs is like the house that is going to be built upon the sand. In all of this, like Jesus wasn't trying to give them some advice on how to how to build a house. What he actually was doing was He was giving them uh, a choice of sorts, to come to the light and allow it to transform and to shape and to mold you and to change you and to save you, or to resist the light and to remain in the darkness and all that that entails. Now, when we read this story, when we look at this story, we often can go kind of glance over, it It just sounds like an interesting story, and it doesn't make maybe a ton of sense to us. And we just kind of think about the song, right? But partly that's because we, we really just don't get it. I mean, our, our house is can put up with, with a storm, right? We have building codes that, that make sure that our houses can, can withstand a certain amount of rain and a certain amount of wind. Our houses have codes that, that require them to be built on on a solid foundation so that if floodwaters come, they aren't just going to crumble and, and tumble and fall. But those people that were listening to the, this analogy, this metaphor, this story that Jesus was telling them, it, this was actually a very real and a very scary proposition to them because the, their house, houses were likely built much differently than ours. It reminds me of, of friends that I have in, in Rwanda that when we go and visit the, the families that we love and know and support out in Kabayuro in this village that we have partnered with for about five years now, like when we go and visit their houses, rarely, if ever, are they built on any sort of like foundation. They just find a flat place or they carve out a flat place on the, on the side of a hill and then they just start laying mud bricks on that flat piece of, of dirt. There's no pouring of cement. There's no foundation. There's no forms. There's, there's just dirt and then mud bricks on top of that dirt. And what happens when the rains come and the rains fall down and the floods come up as, as the song goes, right? Like literally, that we've, we've known of people whose houses have come down with a crash. And it's not like a funny end to a song. It's, it's a horrible end of, of life. Like we've heard of, of people whose lives have tragically ended because their houses weren't prepared to withstand the torrential rains that they often have in, in Rwanda. And so this story, it wasn't just simply like Jesus is trying to, he's like, this decision to, to hear my words and, and to keep my words, that's not just good advice. This is actually a, a, like a life and death decision. And that's why he places them in this, John places them right in in this point because these are the last words that they're going to hear Jesus say before they they see him standing under arrest in front of Pilate. And Jesus is is making a point here. He's like, you have a a decision to make. If you keep my words, or if you don't keep my words, this is a a life and and death decision. And 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 it's with that in mind, I just want to read again, Verses forty-seven to fifty. I just want you to hear these these words of Jesus one more time, where he says, "If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and and does not. Ex- Sorry. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day." For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is, is just what the Father has told me to say. See, Jesus was making it clear. Like These words are not just good advice. These are the words of, of life. And what we'll see in, in the weeks ahead as we begin to look at Jesus' words specifically to those who who are keeping his words, his, his followers who are deciding like, yes, I'm going to place my hope and trust in you. And, and not just in a one-time decision that, to, that saves my soul, but in, in a daily decision that aligns me on the path of Jesus Christ towards his cross, towards his death, but also, and even I think more importantly, towards his resurrected life where he would then be living in us and through us and inviting us to come and follow and practice resurrection. Eugene Peterson says this about practicing resurrection. He says, The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You are the the light of the world. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, you have given us your words. You are the word made flesh. Uh, you have given us your own life, and you call us into this, this life that is in the light, this light that is in you. Uh, I guess first, Jesus, I, I'm grateful that you are gracious and offer grace towards us because we, we often find ourselves wandering towards darkness. We often realize, find ourselves like, oh, man, I didn't even realize that I was this close to the dark, that I'd been in in the gray area for this long. Thank you that you offer grace and forgiveness when we uh, tend toward darkness. But Jesus, we even more so, we thank you for your invitation into the light, the invitation into your life, the invitation to a, a resurrected life with you. Lord, we know that that comes through a, a, a decision to, to follow you, to put our faith and hope and, and trust in you, Lord. And, and for, for that, we are grateful. We also realize that this is like, it, it's a process of, of following you day by day. And sometimes we're going to get it right and sometimes we won't. But Lord Jesus, would you give us the, your presence, your Holy Spirit, to, to both strengthen us, to equip us, but to guide us, in that direction towards you, towards the towards the light and towards a resurrected life, Lord. We know that we can't do that on our own. We know that, that what we read in Galatians 2.20 is exactly what it is, Lord, is that, that we have been crucified with Christ and, and we no longer live. But this life that we now live in the body, we live by faith in you, Jesus, the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us and infuses His life into us. So would you do that today and in the days ahead? In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I think I said it already, but I think it bears repeating. That's that's not a one-time decision, right? I mean, that's a daily decision. Jesus, I, I follow you. Jesus, I, I'm going to hear Your words and I'm going to I'm going to keep Your words. I'm going to put into practice the words that that You're speaking to me, the words that I'm reading in in Your Word. That I see you living out as as the living Word of God. So I hope you'll come and join us next Sunday as we dive into to John chapter 13. Well Jesus, we'll, we'll just get to kind of eavesdrop into a pretty intimate conversation between Jesus and his disciples as he teaches them and he leads them and encourages them. And my prayer is that he'll he'll do the same for us. So God bless you as you go. And we hope to see you next Sunday. Have a great sunny afternoon.